Well, hey, 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 folks, welcome back to Frontlines, a biweekly program where we're talking about really issues uh, at the front lines, uh, at the ground level that pastors and church leaders are facing. Uh, and so my name's Daniel Yang, and our co-host is Peyton Jones, who just recently, this week, right, Peyton, you released your newest book, uh, which we got a chance to talk about. There it is right there, Church Plantology. And uh, man, Peyton, I'm really excited at just the release of your book. I'm glad that we had a conversation around it last week. And uh, man, I love it seeing our friends, you know, it's on their Facebook feed and all that stuff. I think it's going to really, you know, I, I teach church planting at uh, seminaries as well. And so it's going to be one of those books, man, where I think people are going to find highly useful in training the next generation of not just practitioners, but those that are leading the conversation. So, Thank you, um, brother. yeah, absolutely. And uh, but today we're uh, we're super excited to have uh, a good friend of Exponential, uh, and uh, we're we've got with us today Myron Pierce. Myron, I, I feel like you really don't need an introduction because most folks here have already, uh, you know, you you were hosting a show uh, at some point as well. But Myron is a pastor and church planter and many other things out in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, man, you've written uh, tons of books, bro, and then also started a lot of businesses. Uh, love your story. Um, love the idea of hope dealing. I mean, that I, that phrase, when I first heard you talk about that, really stood out to me. And so we're really excited to have you on today, uh, Myron. Uh, and so, hey, man, just really quickly before we talk about what today's show is about, just give us a little bit of snapshot as what's ministry look like for you lately and where, where have you been in the last few months? Well, it's good to, good to be here. Good to see you, Daniel, and Peyton. And obviously, it's always a, a pleasure, man, uh, to serve and, and just to be uh, a part of the exponential family, man. Ministry uh, over the last few months has been uh, well. One of my favorite pastimes is is like you said, spending every other week with Ralph Moore and and talking to other leaders across the country about church planting multiplication. And so I look uh, forward to that um, in, in such a lot of ways. Uh, the other thing, man, is just spending time uh, coaching uh, leaders and church planters across the country with my friends up at. Uh, up in Kansas City with Rob Wagner and and we're doing some stuff with uh, just, you know, leadership development and, and, you know, training, you know, leaders to, to think more missionally. Um, and then obviously, man, uh, you know, a, a local church pastor and, and and trying to make sure that I date my wife every week, obviously, <laughs> and family night on Fridays, man. And uh, yeah, man, I can go on and on, man, but that's kind of what my world looks like lately. Uh, having tons of conversations with minority uh, leaders, black leaders, about how we um, can help continue to raise up the next generation of black and brown leaders. That's been mm -hmm. a, a really big conversation um, in my neck of the woods as well, man. So hands are full, but I'm going on sabbatical in May. Wow. wow. How long? Good for you. A whole month. Nice. I th I'd month. say you need, you need five more, brother. Six I, well, I, I do it. I do it every year. I do a whole month nice. every year. It's good. I remember you doing, and I was watching you eat food. You would give food eating updates. I remember you eating ice cream. You made that ice cream look so good. You eat ice cream good, brother. That's that's what I'm telling you. You remember that? I remember that. Hey, 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 we actually, you actually, and I wasn't supposed to do it, but we did a podcast while I was on sabbatical last year with you and uh, on your other podcast. 
Oh, man, I made you break the rules. Sorry about the noise in the background. But all right, all right. I'm going to mute so we can get serious. Yeah, man. Uh, well, uh, Myron, man, we're really uh, excited to have this conversation. Yeah, excited is probably not like the best describer of this conversation, but a very crucial one, uh, very important, because so many church pastors and leaders are having to navigate. They have been having to navigate for a long time, but specifically over this past year, uh, how to talk about uh, issues of social injustice uh, in the community, uh, but then also how to have that conversation within their church. But man, we got to be real and we got to be honest that yesterday, the conviction of Derek Chauvin on three accounts, two uh, murder and one manslaughter, uh, that that verdict when it came in yesterday, I think right around 4 p.m. my time, that uh, that must have elicited a lot of emotions for a lot of people. And I think that there is going to be something that pastors need to say this week, um, you know, in their churches, in their staff meetings, something. Because there's been this pent-up uh, energy over the last 11 months, really, uh, around the death of George Floyd. But we also know that that was just something on top of this underlying current already happening. So, man, if I could just jump out the gate, Myron, and I'm just be real uh, practical with you. What are your thoughts uh, as you saw the verdict? And what are you going to say to your church this weekend? Yeah, so I was uh, on the treadmill yesterday uh, holding my breath. And, and, and quite honestly, I didn't have the the faith to believe that he was even going to be found guilty you know there's there's a a, a definite undermining of trust in um in in america among black and brown people and by the way if you're listening or you're catching a replay uh, today we may say some things i may say some things that will will cause you to um you're going to feel something you're going to feel ouch you're going to feel a sting you may you may feel a, 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 a some alignment or some agreement, uh, but whatever you feel, feel it. Uh, don't hide it. Don't push back on it, uh, but just feel it and and begin to maybe discern what it is you feel and why it is you feel. Then we can properly engage in conversation. That's what I'm finding to be helpful. But as I'm as I'm on the treadmill, Daniel and Peyton watching this, I'm just thinking what the outcome if it would be if he wasn't found guilty and what that would mean for um, America. And um, quite frankly, I think, you know, I was, <laughs> I try not to do this, man, but I was kind of going back and forth uh, with, with, with a few leaders on my platform today. And um, one of the things I noticed was the silence among my white counterparts, not all of them, Right. Um, uh, you know, shout out to Dave Ferguson, by the way. I absolutely love that guy, man, the way that he stewards his platform. But the silence yesterday um, was was yet another confirmation that Houston, we have a problem. And that problem is bigger than whether or not uh, Chauvin would have been found guilty. It, it's really a, an indictment on the way where we've been in our culture and uh, and how we've arrived in a place where to be black is to be criminal. And so when I think about what I'm sharing with with my um, 
my congregation this next week. And just to just give you some context on my congregation, I don't have an all black congregation. I don't have an all white congregation. I don't have an all brown conversation. I have an eclectic, multi-ethnic, diverse, multi-generational, socioeconomic, diverse, like the whole conglomerate um, of, of individuals in my, in my congregation. And so what, which makes for um, a lot of it's messy, right? Because not only is it eclectic and diverse, um, but politically diverse, right? All across the spectrum. And so one of the things that we've had to do early on, even as we launched the Mission Church, was to make a draw, draw some lines in the sand. And, and the lines that we drew in the sand was, hey, as a church, we're going to live in expectation of more. In other words, no matter what's happening in our culture, we're going to believe that God is doing something and, and God is at work and he's, he's tasked us to join him in it. We're going to, you know, draw some lines in the sand around around being family. Right. And, and family disagrees. Family gets in fights. Fam, we just do that as family. And so there are a lot of th lines we've drawn that have that has helped us engage a conversation like this civilly and yet emotionally. Right. And so when I when I think about standing up in my in my congregation this Sunday, I'm thinking about spending time just crying and, and, and empathizing and, and, and allowing my congregation to see me as a leader wrestle with the tension of being black in America or, or rather being criminal in America. Um, and then, then, and then being able to spend time praying with one another and talking about how heaven holds two, um, two concepts in tandem, justice and mercy. Heaven holds those both, uh, you know, very, very closely and how yet as leaders we're called and, 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 and as Christ followers, we're called to hold that um, as, 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 as tight as we can as well. And so, um, yeah, man, I, 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 our, our, this isn't a new conversation we're having also mm -hmm. um, like like it's not like something happens and then we talk about it. No, That's like right. we're, we're in the middle of the hood. You know, where where it's it's traumatic to be black, right? Or traumatic to be brown, um, and so we're constantly having these conversations. Yeah. Eventually, Myron, before our episode's over, for, for you all who are listening, um, just so you know where we're going to go with today's episode, we want to talk about how to lead locally and have these conversations in a meaningful way where you can keep as many people going with you as possible. But we also, hopefully, Myron, get a chance to come back, uh, go a little bit higher and talk about in spaces like uh church networks and like exponential and we're we're kind of connecting at a higher level and not a local level how can we also have better conversations i want to get to that before we're, we're over but take us back to last year may 25th it was memorial day and uh you know george floyd was 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 murdered uh you know uh and uh you know w what was it like for you to lead your church over the next 11 months? What were the, you know, what were the, the difficult points? What were the things that you were intentionally trying to navigate? What were the things that you ended up having to navigate? Because this was a dynamic situation and that we're coming off of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Armory. There's so many other things 
that led up and this seemed to be like this explosion that happened with George Floyd. How did you navigate that leading us up to this point? Man, great question. Well, I was on sabbatical. And um, when I first heard about Ahmaud Arbery, you know, I got out, left the house and, and took a walk. And as I took a walk, I was walking down the street. And, and, and at this point, I'm like, kind of like arguing with God. And I'm arguing with God with whether or not I return back to Omaha as a pastor. And, and the reason why is because I just, my head and my heart wasn't in the right place in terms of God. I can't, I, I don't know if I'm the right one for the job um, as we're modeling diversity, equity, and justice in the inner city. And yet feeling like we ha- hadn't made really any headway uh, when it comes to the city church. And when it comes to, you know, God, are things really changing? And, and just all the things that happen, you know, that are happening in my head at this time. And as I'm walking down the street, kind of arguing with God on whether or not I'm returning back to the pastorate. Um, there's a, a white lady actually coming. We're actually on the sidewalk together. I'm walking one way. She's walking the other. And we, and as soon as we kind of, she gets like 10 feet from, you know, from me, she literally like gets off the, the, um, the sidewalk and, and goes to the other part of the street. And I'm just like, this is America. Right. And so as I, as I make my way back to, um, to the house, I just hear this still small voice say, if you quit, they quit. If you quit, they quit. And so I go back in the house and I'm weeping and I'm like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And he's like, hey, I want you to process this in a book. And so I processed it in the book. And that's when I, that's when I wrote Black and White. Mm. How unity and reconciliation can save them can save you know America, basically the United States is supposed to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have been on this journey. And then after I wrote the book, people started identifying with it and saying, hey, like you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm what you wrote is, is ministering to my heart. And and all of a sudden, God kind of started to use it. And, and one thing led to another um, kind of this groundswell community came out of it of Christians and, and out of this community, we started cohorting together. We did we did a four to six month cohort of different over a hundred different people in my city and across the nation um, went through this cohort. And out of this uh, came the reparations grant fund mm-hmm. that that we now use to to um, empower entrepreneurs. And along the way, our church, I had people leave and I had people come. Right. And and mind you, not just the race thing, you got COVID, you got politics, you got like the three headed monster in this last year. And and I, quite frankly, it's been a grace of God that any of us are still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. You know, I wanted to um, ask my friend, sorry, sorry about the banging in the background, but uh, I wanted to ask you if um, if you feel like there might be at times a tension for people understanding where the line is. Like, in other words, they might say, look, I know that Paul said, don't get involved in entangled in civilian affairs. Um, how do I know, especially with all the craziness during an election year, people are trying to figure out how, how, how deep into the water do I wade? Because yes, there's a justice issue, which is important. Um, and yet how, if I wade in that, 
political arena, then I get sucked in and I've been trying to tell my people, hey, knock it off. Don't be morons. <laughs> Don't get sucked in all this crap. Think about the gospel. Think about the message of Jesus. Preach that. Where's the line? Like, how do you, because I know they are interconnected, but I think that's maybe one of the places where, where minister struggles. They're like, hey, how do I know how and when to get? What are the rules of engagement? How do I keep it from getting? Now I've just opened up my whole congregation to just go nuts. You know, the CNN people over here and the Fox News people. And now it's like this giant punk rock slam gig in the middle of my church. Uh, so what, what kind of advice are you giving? Sorry about the banging. See, it's already starting here. The punk rock gig is, is in the way. <laughs> so, so here's, 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 let me make, make few statements. The, the racial, the racialization of America is, is not a political, it's not, it's not a political, um, conversation. It's a biblical conversation. Right. And so I think we have to be as Christ followers, we have to to allow our worldview to be framed in such a way that we don't see see life through the lens of this is a political situation. Like if I see things through the lens of of Republican and it's kind of hard to not. Right. I get that. But one of the things that we do is when we draw lines in the sand on what's political on like you know, this is this race thing is about politics and it's but it's really not. It's like the heart of the gospel. So one of the things I reached out to um, Todd a year ago and I said, hey, Todd, I think the level five conversation around church planting can be a good framework for helping leaders and churches understand uh, issues of justice. And so I started to work on a framework to, to, to help us identify the kind of conversations we're having with people in terms of level one, two, three, four, and five. And so I began thinking, what is a, what is a level one justice church look like? What is a level one justice leader? Right. So we need I think we needed just fresh language. And so I started kind of framing some things and I, I, I landed on this. A level one justice church is an apathetic church. They just they just don't care. In fact, in some of their in some of their doctrine to to, to talk about issues of race is a political is political. And so they're not even they're not even allowed some 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 traditions. Right. Which then leads people down a road of that's none of my business. And so we never get close to brokenness and trauma because it's none of our business. That type of individual church or leader is a level one leader. Right. When it comes to justice. Level two, a level two justice church is awareness. All of a sudden, the, the, the knee on the neck of George Floyd woke America up. Right. Awareness. So all of a sudden people are starting to think like, okay, what? Like we do have a problem. And that's what I love about the Gen Z generation. Like they, 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 they've come out the, the woodworks to say like, like this can't be anymore. Like we have to change the way things are happening. Right. Level three justice church is a church that takes action where they say, we not only see the social ramifications of how we've framed our world into a black or white structure, superior, inferior structure, but we're actually, we actually want to be a part of helping to change the conversation and change the narrative of how we see black people, brown people, et cetera. These people who are at level three churches, they're starting to get their hands dirty. 
they're starting to say things like, hey, let us come alongside of you uh, in a church to church partnerships, in a church to church partnership that is devoid of tokenism. And then show us how we can learn from you alongside you. Those are level three churches. They're action churches. Level four churches are advocate churches. They're not just getting their hands dirty. They're raising their voices. They're putting their money where their mouth is. They're drawing lines in the sand and saying, this is not okay. They're doing what they can to eliminate injustice by any means necessary, right? And then a level five justice church is the, is the, is the kind of church or leader that says, I, I just don't want to be an advocate. I want to be an ally. When, when I see things that are happening in, in the church and in the world, I am not only going to stand in solidarity, I'm going to stand to make sure that the multiplication efforts of justice is happening in every single church in America, in our sphere of influence. And so the reason why that framework is helpful, is because a lot of times we're having conversations, say I'm a level three justice leader where I'm getting my hands dirty and I'm getting next to um, Latinx and Asian people. And I'm, and I'm involved in the work of, of justice to, to relieve the oppression of widows and orphans. I'm involved. But then comes a level one, you know, person who trolls the news state, you know, the news posts on social media and says something dumb. Now, all of a sudden I have to have the maturity to realize, oh, this person's at level one, so I'm wasting my time, right? So it becomes an opportunity for us to evaluate where we're at. Like, that's why, that's why I love the language of, you know, level one, two, three, four, five. So I would say we have to begin to, to adopt a new language and framework to understand where we're at so that we could then move from one to two to three to four and ultimately, hopefully, to five. Man, I wish I'd had that language uh, in Refuge Long Beach because we planted a, a multi-ethnic church plant years ago. I mean, we had people shot in the back by the police. Um, 50% of the congregation was was black, 30% Hispanic, 20% white and Asian mix, which reflected the community. And we came, you know, flat up against all these issues. So as I'm asking this question, please understand, I'm asking for the benefit of those on the call who this is new to them and they're just a little like, hey, I don't know. I've never had the boldness. So that language, man, is super helpful. And um, wh what, what advice would you give to somebody who's like, I'm just venturing into this like I'm going to I'm going to do something for the first time. This is going to be the first thing I do. Like yesterday is ruling. Um, what do you recommend? What's the first thing that, that you would you personally would say, man, as a leader, I would do this if I were you. If they're level one, it's education. Right. If they're level one, it's education. And, and so I, you know, I, I think it really depends on kind of where they're at. If they're level two, like it's it's proximity. It's actually getting close. It's listening. Right. If it's level three, it's where can I take my use my time talent and treasure like to actually get involved mm. right if, if it's level four then i'm trying to make like connections with with those who are in the in the work of justice also if it's level four which is advocate it'd be a good time to look at your budget it'd be a good time to look at your missions budget it'd be a good time to think about do we have a justice budget right 
Um, if it's level five, then what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to mastermind and curate pools of conversation and opportunity so that we can move network, hold networks and movements towards justice. Right. So I don't know if that's helpful. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's really good, Myron. I mean, uh, Peyton, you want to, is there something you want to follow up there? No, I mean, uh, that's super good, man. So on education, um, unpack that a little bit. Um, and then on uh, proximity, uh, maybe those two baby steps that are kind of like beginner's level, uh, maybe unpack that a little bit. And by the way, as as we are saying this, um, I want to remind or even introduce to those of you that don't know that um, Exponential did an, a, an amazing kit um, resource kit called uh, Divided No More, where we go pretty deep. And Myron was on some of those, um, had some amazing guests talking very, very practically. This is a taster, but the Divided No More resource kit is going to be a crash course. Even that itself is an education. Um, and it was designed literally for the people that um, that, that I, I have in mind, because I assume if you're here, I love that Myron said, you know, just be honest. Like that's the first step to change, right? As we go, oh, this is where I'm at, right? And so that kit was put together for those of you that feel like, hey man, I'm lost and I need this and I don't understand. So sorry, yeah. Myron. No, I would totally, um, you know, we had, we spent the whole day together um, for the, the the divided no more. And it was fabulous. Dave, Dave and Albert had an amazing conversation. They kind of emceed the whole day. Um, so I would encourage uh, at an education level, go get the divide no more kit. I think also we have to look at um, people like Pastor Mace. He, he's written an, an excellent um, book on urban apologetics. Um, I think of Ibram, um, Ibram Kendi, I believe, you know, and I think of people like uh, down, Mosaic, the Mosaic guy, uh, forget this drama. Demaz. Mark yeah, Demaz. Demaz has done some cool things, um, but, but that's where you can start. You know, start with the kid, right? Um, I've written two books on it, um, Black and White. And then I've written um, How to Be White in a Black Man's World. It's the whole premise behind what Paul talks about when he when he says the, you know, the, the Jew and the Gentile situation and how he makes them both one. Right. And so how God wants to make us both one, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think education and I think a lot of times. It's easy to, to put our education, our educational journey in the hands of the oppressed. And what I mean by that is is it's 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 the majority's responsibility to go the extra mile as Jesus said mm. right and and be, here's the why I have so much respect for white people who are part of my church I'm telling you I'm I have you know why because they are willingly submitting themselves to my leadership. And there is no other place in the world where they have to. Right. And so a second, a second piece to, to kind of moving is who do you know? Who do you know in your city? Who do you, who do you know um, in places of influence that, that where they don't have power, right? They don't have access. They don't have equity. 
what if what if you decided as an act of humility, I'm going to sit at your feet and I'm just going to learn. Right. That I'm telling you, I am humbled by people who do that because they don't have to. Hmm. So good, Myron. I'm, I'm going to really push the envelope, though, and because um, I, I want to I want us all to to get there uh, in terms of being advocate and ally churches. You know, just like I, I love that you use the level five language, because we all know that to just have two, three percent multiplying churches is a sad reality, right? We don't want to be there. And in the same way, we don't want to be the, the we don't want to be where we're only having two, three percent of advocate ally churches. So how do we, let's let's talk about getting there. And I, I want to acknowledge this, too, because, you know, Myron, I, I mean, you said this right off the bat when we started this episode. Yeah, this is tiring for you that like you have to ask yourself, do I want to continue to engage? And so I totally want to honor respect that, you know, having this conversation in itself has a way of taking a toll on on people of color um, because the onus isn't shouldn't be up to those who have historically experienced the oppression. Um, and so the question of how do we see more ally advocate churches, um, you know, and it, it's predominantly, you know, it's going to be white churches, but it'll be also some other, you know, uh, non-white churches that need to get to that point as well. But help us to think about like, the repercussions help us to think about like why this is a gospel issue that if we don't see the direction trend where we see more level five justice churches level four justice churches even within our lifetime right um what what's at stake here you know and i would contend that it's the gospel that's at stake it's not just racial diversity that's at stake it's the gospel itself right and if people don't understand Martin Luther King's letter uh, from the Birmingham jail, if they don't understand what he's trying to say, that Christianity is at stake if we don't see more level four, level five justice churches. Can you talk about the weight of that? And then can you talk about how, how you know, the urgency of how we need to get there as soon as possible? Let's look at what Barna just released. Uh, since the, the turn of the century, we're down to 40% membership in our churches. 51% don't even know what the definition of the Great Commission is. Think, let that sit in, right? And so, Daniel, as you talk about the gospel, like, we are already in trouble <laughs> from a Great Commission standpoint. Now, add to that trouble and disparity. <clears throat> add to it what Michael O. Emerson says. It's a sociologist sociologist on um, race and, and issues of injustice and diversity. And so he said this, and we've all heard this, by, 20, by 2044, there will no longer be a majority, ethnically, right? There will, all, there, there, there will always kind of be a, a majority in terms of equity, at least at this point, right? But let's just think about just ethnically. And then he says, because, there's, because there will no longer be a majority Churches and organizations and businesses that are exclusively homogenous will be seen as a cult. So where that becomes a matter of um, national security is if if I'm perceived as a cult in the eyes of people I'm called to reach, then the Great Commission comes to a halt. 
right? And so what we what we can do right now is 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 allow that to kind of sit in. And and because if you look at if you look at my neighborhood, if you look at all the institutions in my neighborhood right now, 95% of all the institutions organizations in my neighborhood right now are diverse. In my community right now, there are 14 different languages that are spoken. 14. And so to your point, Daniel, the urgency, the urgency in it is if the Great Commission um, isn't isn't being performed or done like the heart of the father is is heavy heavy for one reason because he wants all to come to a saving knowledge right and i think the number one job of a christ follower is the mission of god and yet injustice has kept us from pursuing it because we see other people who are disenfranchised and seen as criminal as and, and and watch this for those of my brothers and sisters who have done something about the great commission when it comes to um issues of injustice those who have moved into those who are level three in their own right where we we can still hurt the very people that are oppressed by the way that we approach them when we're helping so it's, 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 it's quite easy to take a colonial um, mindset, mm. even even if we're moving towards level three, a level being a level three justice yeah. church. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. Is that helpful? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I just I, I that thought that you said, you know, if we don't learn how to meaningfully engage and become more. <clears throat> meaningfully uh, multi-ethnic churches, the idea of being a cult church, yeah, I think that's a, that's a very strong statement <clears throat> that in maybe other eras of the United States, we wouldn't have needed to think that way. Mm. But the dynamics of demographic changes, this is a, this is a different America <clears throat> than when Rick Warren planted Saddleback Church. Yeah. In 1980, when Rick Warren planted the church, United States of America was still 85% white. Um, you know, and we're we're closer to the reality that you're talking about, Myron, uh, which is 2040, than we are to 1980 when Rick Warren planted Saddleback Church. Uh, and mm. yet, many of our techniques, our tactics, our methodology, and this is not a knock on, like I'm a huge Rick Warren fan. Like I, I he is a faith hero to me. So this is a not a not a, a not a knock on him or his era, but we are pursuing gospel ministry in the same exact way in which they were doing it back in the 80s, but mm -hmm. our social dynamics has almost completely yeah. changed. You know, it, it's funny when you mention what a threat to the gospel it is, my mind immediately went back and connected two dots. One was you said this is a biblical issue, um, which clearly, uh, you know, issues of ethnicity dominate the pages of the New Testament, the Phoenician woman, the Samaritan at the well, um, the whole book of Acts, the Jerusalem council was over the fact that they were the Jewish 
believers were becoming like a cult, very insular and not outreaching. And it was a gospel issue. It was a sink or swim moment that drew some counsel. So as you're saying that, my mind just went back to the first century, how true that has always been for the church. Yeah. And and I love that you brought that up because you look back at church history, even when you said, like, we can think through a colonial mindset. Um, I was speaking uh, on the Divided No More. I did an interview where the guy said, even the fact that we say that Columbus discovered America, he goes, there were brown people here. <laughs> there were indigenous, and, but for uh, the white. And it, it, absolutely. And he said, here's the thing. He goes, but a colonial mindset says no. Uh, Columbus discovered America. And then the debate rages among scholarship. No, no, Columbus didn't. Uh, so-and-so did, but it still is another white dude somewhere. And so you you go back to that and you go, huh, you know, it's interesting. But um, one of the things that, that I want to, this is really controversial. And uh, hey, Peyton Jones, no stranger to controversy. But I'm not asking this for the sake. It's kind of like my earlier question. It's kind of like asking for a friend, you know, asking for people who, um, you know, they, they're not going to ask the question. If they do, it's probably going to be in an unhelpful way. So I'm going to try to ask the question because one of the things that's really disturbing to me is when I go on social media, I can stop my sentence there. But one of the things that's really disturbing to me is I'm seeing a backlash when people are addressing these issues of biblical justice. I'm seeing the backlash of people saying, oh, wow, here's woke Jesus. Or now, you know, uh, you're a woke pastor. And woke is being used as a derogatory term for those that are honestly trying to uh, change the response like like for example we can look back at the civil rights and say oh we totally would have been on the right side of that or you know uh, we would have we would have supported dr king but these are probably the same people throwing oh you're woke now and woke has become a uh, synonym of uh distortion or compromise with gospel truth um when i see that you know i'm raising two little ladies of color so it, it, it comes kind of close to my heart. Um, when I see woke used as an insult, um, it, it's really troubling to me. And I think when pastors or leaders encounter that, what would you say is a, is a healthy response to that kind of language? And how can we as leaders uh, maybe um, address that? Because it, it almost seems like, again, these, these bastions of of kind of like white supremacy, like you will not tell us you're woke. It's a, it's a, it's going back on the offense instead of sitting back and listening. How do we address that? I'd like to, um, I think a lot of times um, it's, it's easy. Let me bring up something you just said. This is what's happening in our country is not an isolated event. It's not, it, it, it it's like, it's it, with the, the, the narrative of humanity. Let's put it like that in the narrative of humanity. Right. So when we look at the heart of God, we see that the heart of God, even if you even if you just look at the triune God, we see something so um, beautiful and um, 
pictorial about the way this society, this God society exists. It's a it's a it's a triune society that says uh, you're the father and I acknowledge who you are in that position. You're the son and I acknowledge who you are. You're the Holy Spirit and I acknowledge who you are in this position. And although we're different, we're still one. And even there, God is trying to um, assume a position or posture to, for a picture of humanity. Like mm-hmm. that's how that's where he's going. And so the, the so so the very definition of woke is. Is that that's woke in anything that's contrary to that picture of wokeness is divisive and then helps me to understand that I should not even entertain someone who's level one, who's not willing to shift to level two, because I have an obligation to move from one to five. Right. And so I, I just I, I think I think as leaders at, at some point, you know, we have to like if I just heard some saw somebody post that we can't separate a fool from their foolishness, but we can separate ourselves from that fool. And I think we just have to be cautious and understand that there are some who really who, who really would rather troll and who really would rather stay in their paradigm. And, and, and what's the, and the problem with this is that we're defending paradigms that are unbiblical. And I, and, and I, I, when I was in the penitentiary, one of the things that, uh, that I had to learn fast was this, because we, we'd have uh, different type of religious people, Muslim, Sunni, Shiite, uh, uh, Satru, I mean, all a plethora of different religious traditions. And um, I was very gung ho about the gospel and I wanted everyone to come have, have a saving knowledge of Christ and all those things. But in my immaturity and in my zeal, I would often argue with the Muslim brothers and I would often take their, you know, take their their, you know, their Quran and put it before them and open up to Surah 2191 and talk and show them the immaculate conception. Right. And yet God in in the moment kind of showed me, he's like, Myron, if you can argue them, if if you can argue them into what you believe, they can be argued out of what they believe. And I think the same is true. I think sometimes the, the difference between dialogue and argument requires us to have wisdom on what we're willing to give our time to. And 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 I, and I do think that there's a growing um, groundswell of those who are agitating uh, this idea of using woke as 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 something that's derogatory, right? Yeah, um, they are. Yeah, and, and 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 so for me, it's like, what are we gonna give our time to? Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm I'm having to relearn. Like, man, I gotta be careful. I have to be careful what I give my time to. Am I saddened by it? Yes. Right. But I have to keep building. Yeah. And I know, you know, it's kind of like trolls are going to trolls are going to troll. So trolls do. Right. So they're paid for. Um, but but I was going to ask, I've, I've seen two things this week. And, and one of the things is I love I love watching. I've got you and another friend online that I respect, respect the crud out of. And the way that you handle yourself, the way you engage, um, you know, it's grace, uh, but seasoned with salt, right? There, there's a good balance that you seem to keep online. What are your rules of engagement, number one? And as I'm watching pastors um, that, are, that are towing the line and stepping out and advocating, 
and they're getting bludgeoned, how do you handle that? Do you, do you, do you defend others? Do you stand with others as you see them stepping out and taking a blow? What are your rules of engagement? How do you handle that? Because we know that, that that woke kickback is either coming from a media outlet, podcasts, radio shows, but in our realm, we're seeing it in social media. And in fairness, a lot of social change happens through social media. So how, how do you engage it? Uh, other than, like I said, just let the trolls be trolls, but where you, where you feel like, Hey, I could actually speak a word in season here. How do you handle you know, that? So, it's, it's so, it's so interesting. I, um, I've, I've decided I'm going to be vocal no matter what it's going to cost me. Right. So, um, and it has costed me. Now, again, I'm an inner city church, right? Most inner city churches are not sustainable financially. So if I get out of line too much, right? You know, th that that's a very real fear that a lot of inner city pastors are having, right? I don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't care because there's a, because I'm all of us, we're going to, we're going to have to like stand before Christ one day and give an account for what we did in the body. Right. And so I do think we have like, there's some rules of engagement. Like there's a, there's an artist out there that did something yesterday on social that was stupid as a Christ follower and he ruined his influence a little bit. But I do think as leaders, even though we realize that, that we that that we have to kind of lose some of our filters and we have to count the costs and realize, you know, what, regardless of what it's going to cost us is worth it because lives, you know, when we think about Asian hate, like that stuff matters, man. Like like we like there are a group of people, black, brown, Asian that, that are experiencing the the weight of racism and hate. And 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 so we have to we have to decide like the Pauls and the Peters of the world. That, like, do you like you remember you remember I had a pastor reach out to me um, when I was vocal on um, what, what one of the major pastors did um, down in Atlanta. And I and I, I went I went public and I talked about it and I had a pastor rebuke me. And as he rebuked me, I pointed him back to the scripture. I pointed him back to, to, to canon and I and I showed him how Paul in front of everybody rebuked Peter of his hypocrisy because he was allowing racism to invade his heart again after the risen savior had already come died and risen. I had to show him that as leaders, we have the responsibility to not allow the sanctity of the gospel to be obliterated by injustice because of fear and trolls. And so when I showed him that scripture, he's like, wow. He had never saw that before because as the majority, we have a gospel that has been, that has been 
articulated and interpreted through the lens of 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 of, of, of whiteness and and, and you, the European European everything that we look at white Jesus everything everything is seen through that lens and so that when we when we begin to talk about issues of injustice it seems outside of the periphery of what is biblical but it's not we just have to choose to look at look at the scriptures through another lens and it's so I, good yeah yeah and as I shared it with them he he. I love it because he he like he he admitted he's like oh I never thought of it like that. I'm so glad you showed me that, and I think that's what we need as black, white, brown, Asian. I think we need one another. Like we need one another to call each other on the carpet, and yet be willing to 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 make the relationship be what's more important as we're talking about what's right and wrong. Hmm. Yeah, man. So so much there, and I think. That passage in Galatians is such a, it's, you know, at this level of conversation, the only way that you can really put another brother or sister in check is if you have a real relationship with them. You know, and Paul is able to do that because he knew Peter. Um, and that's the, that's the, that's the problem is that if you don't have proximity to people, then you can't speak into their lives and you just end up being a troll. But if you have proximity, then you can rebuke with love in, in, in the gospel, and it can lead to a greater collective growth. And I think that's so important. Myron, with our last few minutes here, I think I, a couple of things I want you to unpack. Um, I want you to speak to those who are leading level four, level five justice churches. Uh, one, how, how, do they, how do they stay in, uh, stay in it? It's tiring leading churches like that because you're engaged with outside issues, and you're engaged in very high-level conversations, people are making mistakes all the time against you. You're probably making mistakes as well as you're learning to lead better. Uh, it can be a tiring place. You know, it's a, a place of fatigue for many. I would love for you to speak into that. And then hopefully before the episode's over, we can talk a little bit about, in your minds, what does reparations mean? Because you started an organization around the idea of uh, some, you know, at least the idea of reparations. But, um, you know, so, but uh, real quick, man, how for level four, level five justice churches, um, how do they stay in it? How, how do you do it in a way where you don't burn out? Rhythms. I think we need we need rhythms of of okay of soul care. So more and more as as I as I as I'm living and leading, I had this this aha moment today, and I've thought this in the past, but it hit me today. I am experiencing trauma, racial trauma. When 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 a police officer gets behind me, I start sweating. I start getting my phone out and putting the phone on record. I start sitting upright. I I I like like I'm I'm realizing. And so I, I would say this: that if you're level four or five. Um, if you're white or black, we we have to make sure. And I love, Pete Scazzaro is doing is doing a fabulous job um, championing the, championing this. But what's my soul like? Like I have a counselor, dog. You know what I'm saying? Like I have I have a counselor, man. 
And I and I and and it's not just what what you know talking about stuff that went on in my childhood, but like stuff that is going on right now. I need to process this, and so we need to be processing um, what we're going through and and admitting that we're we're traumatized by this. Second thing is we need rhythms of rest where we can really unplug. And then we need rallies. We need rallies that of, of people and leaders that that may get us or may not get us. But we know we're in a fight together. I was texting with a friend yesterday and, and he said something to me. He said, I said, man, I feel I kind of feel hopeless right now. And, and, and he said, that's why we need each other. And I would say that to four to level four or five churches. That's why we need each other. So good, man. Uh, we had a really good uh, question come in from the audience here. And as somebody who is maybe white or part of majority culture, uh, who cares for friends of color, uh, are there any tangibles, practicals, uh, yeah. how to encourage for their soul care? Yeah, yeah. Encourage them through question. Encourage them through question. One of the things when we when we uh, when you look at uh, people of color, listen, we didn't a, a large majority. Let me speak for us. Those who are black and grew up in poverty and grew up in inner city situations. We like we were taught. What happens in this house, stay in this house. Right. We were taught that that is a that is a belief system. And so many of us aren't even getting the help that we need. And we think we're, we think we're going to get healed through prayer and fasting. No, we're going to get healed through soul care. We're going to get healed through confession. And so I would, I would be careful how we encourage soul care so that we don't indict our fellow brothers and sisters of color by telling, some, telling them something's wrong with them, but simply, hey, how's your heart today? What have you been thinking about? What's your greatest fear right now? And allowing them a space to just talk about how they feel. Right. Those are those are just great. Like curiosity will go a long way with a person of color. Yeah, so good. So good. And speaking as an Asian American, I've been on the receiving end of those questions that you just gave there, Myron. And I really, really do appreciate that. And um before we uh, hop off here, and Peyton, you may have one more question, but I want to make sure that uh, we drop in the chat there something that you mentioned, Dave Ferguson, something that he's pioneering here in Chicago is something called justice deposits. Uh, and, you know, Myron, if you have anything to speak into this, I'd love to hear from you as well. But this is an initiative that other people have started, but Dave has really been a champion for this, and that is for churches to begin using uh, African-American-owned banks uh, in terms of place to, a place to keep their, you know, their finances uh, because uh, the corporate banks actually loan out uh, to African-Americans at a much lower rate than they do to, uh, to whites and others. And so uh, with African-owned America, uh, uh, banks, there's a chance in which the, bone, uh, the loans are given to African-Americans at a much greater rate. And so this is something that Dave uh, Ferguson and others have really uh, pioneering, at least here in the Chicago area. And so uh, Brooks is going to drop that in the chat. You guys can learn more about justice deposits there as well. So Peyton, any last thoughts with Myron? Yeah, just um, Myron, thanks, man. And thanks for letting me be the guy asking all the ignorant questions. Uh, 
for the benefit of others, uh, I, I hope I've moved on a little bit beyond that. But uh, again, I wanted, you know, my, my heart is to affect change. And for people that just maybe they don't even know what questions to ask, I was, I was going to say I was really helped when you mentioned listening, um, you know, and asking the questions uh, from people of color, leaders of color, because uh, one of the other things I think, you know, speaking for all the white guys on this call, right? I think one of the things that, that you need to be really careful of if you're going to do that is do not correct. If you're going to ask the question, listen to the answer, let people of color uh, answer those questions and it, it just don't paternalistically think you got to go fix it now and answer. Make it like you mentioned, Myron, making it a safe place to just share pain, share hurt, empathize, man. Just you know, ask more questions. So, oh, wow, that's that's tough. Not being like, hey, no, man, you know, you shouldn't feel that or the Bible says or don't do that stuff. If you're going to ask the question, be man enough and be a woman enough to actually listen. And like Myron said at the beginning of this, feel those feelings, feel those feelings. If, if something that person says makes you feel uncomfortable, listen to it, embrace it and learn from it. So and I, I know we I know we have three minutes. I, I just wanted the elephant in the room is this, is that many of my white brothers and sisters, you are feeling condemnation. Right. So to be to be black in America is criminal, but to be white in America is condemning. And what I want to say to that, I just want to speak life to you is Romans eight says this, that there is therefore now no, no condemnation. It's impossible to establish trust when condemnation is between a relationship. Mm, and so God good. is not the author of that either. Right. And, and we, we want you to know like black people, like we, we, we don't want revenge. I heard somebody say this. We don't want revenge. Mm. We just want justice. Amen. And so join us today, however or yeah. wherever you're at in, in, in your, on your journey, because we're all on one. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amen. brother. So good. So good. Thanks, man. Hey, Myron, thanks for being on here. I uh, just want to encourage you all to make sure you guys catch uh, Myron and Ralph Moore as well as they uh, lead their show here on the Exponential Hub. And I uh, really appreciate the work uh, that uh, you're putting into this. Uh, Myron's a part of a lot of other things besides leading Mission Church. Uh, uh, one thing you might be interested uh, in what he's pioneered uh, in Omaha is reparationsinc.org. We can drop it there in the chat as well. But that's a uh, that's a business that uh, he helped to start, where uh, people are helping uh, people of color, other minority business owners, get off the ground in terms of their uh, business, whether that's with graphic design, photography, um, editing, those kinds of things. I, I love that concept. Uh, that you started there, Myron. So really appreciate you. And so uh, thanks for joining us for today. We had talked about this a couple times already, but uh, make sure if you're, let's say, at that level one or level two justice church and you want to increase your competency in this, that the um, the uh, roundtable toolkit that was developed by the Exponential could be a potential tool that you can use for that as well. And so uh, really thankful for uh, Peyton Jones. Uh, man, I'm glad we get to do this together. And uh, we're going to 
going to spend this next season actually unpacking some of the most difficult conversations that church leaders are having to navigate, like issues of, of racial injustice. And that's what we're going to spend the next couple of uh, episodes really unpacking with some of our guests. So appreciate your attention, and we'll see you on the next episode.